Welcome to Central Queensland Region's Leading and Learning Podcast. These are informal conversations between leaders about educational issues and initiatives. We share them to inspire and inform you so that you may have a greater influence through your instructional leadership. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land across central Queensland on which we play, learn and work. I respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators listening. I recognise the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land and commit to building a brighter future together. Hi, I'm Trudy Graham, your host for the show. I'm an Assistant Regional Director in Central Queensland, based in Rockhampton. And in this episode, I'm just delighted to welcome Gillian Baker, Senior Advisor, Speech Language Therapy in Central Queensland Region. Welcome to the podcast, Gillian. Thank you very much, Trudy. It is a delight to be here on this lovely Monday. In I'm in Gladstone today. So, Gillian, let's kick off with our conversation starter. I'd love to know, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for the opportunities that I've had uh, throughout my life. I'm um, grateful for the people that I've met and worked with, the friendships that I've made. Well, I'm grateful for sunshine. and I think it's trying to, the sun is trying to shine today. Um, I'm also grateful for dark chocolate and fabulous shoes. <laughs> I love it. You do have fabulous shoes. Yeah. And uh, I am a bit partial to chocolate and coffee. I, oh, yeah. I joke that I do my best work on Blend 43. Gil, I'm going to bring mine a bit more down into a recent time frame. And I have to say what I am grateful for right now is the Reading and Writing Centre PD that I got to be a part of last week. I have been waiting for a professional learning experience in that space for a couple of years and it was worth the wait. It was just the best opportunity and I'm so excited about the potential of what's going to uh, unfold for our school leaders and our young learners as so many schools across central Queensland are engaging in the work and I think that's probably going to be a part of our conversation today, Gil. Yes, it will be. It's going to be a big piece of work for the region and for the CQSLP team moving forward. And we're quite lucky to have the professional development that we've had over the past few weeks with the Reading and Writing Centre. This week as well, there's another workshop in Billawila for the school leaders. So it'll be fantastic to be attending that one. I didn't get a chance to attend the ones in Rockhampton last week, but we also had some masterclasses with Jenny Peach and Donna from the Reading and Writing Centre last week during our regional meeting and always fabulous. I love listening to Jenny speak. Every time I listen to her present something, it doesn't matter how many times I have hear her present, she is incredible. And I always take notes because I love the way that she talks about uh, reading and writing and oral language with such passion. She has been an amazing advocate for speech language pathology in the department. But, you know, most importantly, for children with her passion and her belief that it's our responsibility to ensure that every child in state schools learns how to read and write. So central to our moral imperative that we set young people up as literate learners um, and have to have literate futures. Gil, 
to really set the scene, I'd love for you to start by talking to us about the role of speech language pathologists within our department. Well, the Department of Education has employed speech language pathologists for over 50 years. And in that time, we have seen the role quite significantly change. I started in 1999, and before that I had worked in a another provider. And I know the work that we did in 1999 is nowhere near as complex as the work that we're doing now in schools. At the moment, the definition of a speech language pathologist in the department is um, to support schools to achieve success and well-being for all students through every stage of learning in an inclusive education system. So that's the, the global uh, ways that, that we work. So speech language pathologists in education bring to the school team specialist skills to undertake differential diagnostic assessments regarding the nature of a student's speech and language communication difficulties. And we help to identify the impact on the student's ability to access, participate and achieve in learning and we look at identifying the most appropriate reasonable adjustments for the student, supporting schools to implement those reasonable adjustments. But really, we work as part of the inclusive educational team. Yeah, I can see as we do more and more work around inclusive education that being at the table as a part of the team is going to become the way that we do more of our work together. So, Gil, with that concept, can you explain to us the speech language pathologist services within a whole school approach? In the whole school approach, the speech language pathology service builds on the quality differentiated and target instruction that the teachers provide and we assist with planning. So it supports the school to deliver differentiated and explicit teaching for all students, including those with speech language communication difficulties or language learning needs, as we refer to the children now. And decisions about services are supported by valid and reliable progress monitoring and shared decision-making with the school. So services that support differentiated and explicit teaching for all students and focused um, identified students can benefit the broad student population. So that's um, one area that we spend a lot of time working in in the whole of school approach. But as we know, you know, students can access different levels of support at different times or in different situations. Uh, we do sometimes work with individual students as well at an intensive level. And this is, you know, after the school has spent a fair bit of time getting to know the student. You know, they've applied that quality differentiated teaching and then they will come to us and seek our support to see the individual student but we don't tend to see a lot of students individually, um, generally speaking, anymore. Yeah, I was just going to say, Gil, I think that's a bit of a shift, isn't it, in mm. terms of the role where in times gone by it has been about that one-on-one -on -one intensive work, but there's a shift to that more universal and targeted approach and working side-by-side -side with leadership teams and teaching teams in that space. Am Absolutely. I right in thinking like that, Gil? Absolutely. A lot of our speeches are embedded in the school leadership teams and assist the, the school to make decisions about how they support uh, the oral language and reading and writing development of the students in the school. So they are involved in building the capacity of school staff 
and uh, with respect to how to create language-rich classrooms. They also support schools to make decisions about how they uh, view their cohorts and support, um, you know, larger cohorts of kids. And then every now and again, we do have those kids that only a speech language pathologist can support. So, you know, the kids who might have quite complex communication needs or the students who might have quite complex um, speech uh, disorders or difficulties. So generally, we spend a lot of time supporting school teams and uh, working quite closely with them. Gillian, what do we know about the language skills of our learners coming into our schools? Well, we know that the first five years are quite critical for development for all children and that by the time children get to school, their language development is expected to be quite sophisticated, really, because they're generally, you know, five to six years old. And then we continue to refine and grow our language from there. By the time they get to school, we would expect them to be able to follow three-part instructions, like, you know, put on your shoes, get your backpack and line up outside. That's what we would expect for a child of that age. They should understand instructions without having to stop and listen. And they also start to think about what the meanings of words are. So it's quite sophisticated by the time they get to school age. They also use well-formed sentences that can be understood by most people and people who don't know them. And they can tell short, simple stories with a beginning, middle and end, generally by the time they get to school. And they should also have most of their speech sounds. So some might still be a little bit difficult, uh, like er, all and they're a little bit difficult, but um, most speech sounds, they should be fully intelligible by then. But what we do know from the AEDC data is that um, although we expect quite mature language developmentally for our preppies, the children, when they come into our school gate, um, we're probably not quite ready for the, the gap that we're seeing. So, Gillian, it's really important, I think, that we get our terminology correct and are clear with our definitions. Would you like to unpack for us some of the terminology that the speech language pathologists use and give us the definition so we're really clear on what we're talking about? Absolutely. In the past, the terminology that we have used across the profession has been a little bit unspecific, but now we're really starting to agree and narrow in on the type of terminology that we do use across the profession, so not just in the department. We talk about uh, language learning needs. So they're the children that they need support to increase their communication, engagement and participation in school. And there can be lots of different reasons why we see kids with language learning needs. Our role is to accelerate language engagement and participation in the classroom with these students. And that's done through quality differentiated teaching. They're the, the probably the broadest group of children that we see within the department. And then we have uh, what we refer to as a language difference. So they're children who have rule governed language style that's different to the standard language that's used in schools. And in our schools, we use standard Australian English. And these would be the kids who we refer to as um, EALD or IEALD for our Indigenous kids. Because we teach kids to read and write in standard Australian English in schools, it just means that the children are coming in with a language that's different to the one that is at home. And it's about them being a language environment that is different at school. 
to at home. So what we have to do is support the transition from home language to school language for those kids. And at the moment, we're doing a big piece of work in um, central Queensland with respect to that, particularly focusing on our Warabinda State School. Then we have the newly, um, in the past few years, agreed to diagnostic term called developmental language disorder. And that looks at children who have persistent difficulties in the acquisition and use of language. And these language abilities are substantially, and when we assess kids um, quantifiably, below age or developmental expectations. So it's really interesting when you look at the statistics for that, because it's one in 14 people have DLD or developmental language disorder. If you looked at it in a classroom, that's two children out of every classroom who have DLD. And um, so that's like 7.5% of the population, which is quite high. I saw the other day that it's 50 times more prevalent than a hearing impairment and five times more prevalent than autism, which is um, quite interesting. Children who have DLD are six times more likely to have reading difficulties and also four times more likely to struggle with math. And as a STEM kid, I just thought I would bring up the math um, because sometimes it's something I think that we uh, as speeches don't tend to talk about uh, that much. For those kids, you would see them struggle with words to express their ideas, have trouble organising sentences, uh, have difficulty conversing or telling a story. They find it hard to understand individual words and follow instructions or answer questions. They sometimes don't remember what's said to them and they have difficulty paying attention. And then, as I said, a, a lot of these kids have difficulty with reading and writing as well. I also probably should mention that in the department we know uh, longer diagnosed speech language impairment or SLI. That was a diagnosis that was created specifically for the diagnostic category for EAP. It is something that we don't do anymore. I think that for us as speeches, you know, labelling um, and criteria to instigate support is not the future in our department either. And we're more interested in the skills that the student have and um, we start looking at what our children arrive um, with at school. We identify their strengths and then we identify the barriers to them successfully being in the classroom. And then we look at what the student has to learn and that informs our how. So for us, we no longer need to worry about a label to put an adjustment in place, which is fantastic. Yeah, the future is very optimistic, isn't it? And I love that strengths-based approach. And as you were speaking, Gil, I couldn't help but think about children with language difference mm -hmm. and how they have different life experiences and the importance of that background knowledge and connecting with prior knowledge in terms of language development. And sometimes those young learners uh, have experiences that we don't necessarily recognise or value in our school spaces and they're very rich experiences that we need to be better at as educators to tap into. Absolutely and you know understanding of a student's home language and culture is so important for us and 
it, within Queensland, students come from all over the world. And then we have a large population of our students, so Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, who uh, a lot of them, well, English is a second language for them. They have a home language and it's different to school language. So we really have to be you know, respectful of other cultures and celebrate what they bring into the classroom as well. Gillian, I'd love to hear the links between oral language and literacy and, again, the role that speech language pathologists can play in this space. I, I like to quote Jenny Peach a lot um, because I think I heard one of my speeches say the other day, you know, when she grows up, she wants to be Jenny Peach. Um, she put it on her PDP. Jenny is, uh, you know, just incredible source information and fantastic that she is working for our department and helping us to drive the whole school approach for the teaching of reading and writing. It's a privilege to, to work with her. But Jenny says, language is literacy is language. And the functional impact of a language impairment that you see in a classroom is generally difficulty with reading and writing. Reading is a language task because in most cases, reading is a linguistic difficulty. You know, oral language competency and literacy skills or, you know, learning to read and write have a reciprocal and a cyclical relationship. So strong oral language competency facilitates access to the written language in print, which in turn facilitates ongoing growth in oral language competency by allowing greater exposure to more complex grammatical forms, a wider vocab and a diverse range of um, written genres and metalinguistic devices. So it's like you learn to speak, to read, and then when you can read, your language develops further from there. So, so that is the critical importance of oral language with respect to reading and writing. That is why our involvement in supporting schools to have, you know, language-rich environments and to understand the complexities of learning to read and write are very important and working within school teams for that. So what we tend to look at is we base the work that we do on the Simple View of Reading by um, Goff and Tumner. So we look at reading as a process of converting print to speech, and that involves the ability to be able to decode and also understand the meaning of what is read. I know that there's a lot of conversation and discussion around the simple view of reading, but again, to quote Jenny Peach, I think the simple view of reading is probably one of the most robust views of reading. It stands up as one of the most enduring and highly regarded conceptual frameworks for understanding the process of transitioning from a novice reader to a more competent reader within the first three years of school. We just had a big meeting with the guidance officers and presented this information to them. So I think they were really um, excited and challenged to see how they can be supporting schools within this space as well. And thanks for the references to the simple view of reading. I'll go looking for that and pop it in the show notes. <laughs> along with your other notes too. Thanks, Gillian. And you mentioned Jenny Peach a couple of times, and I have to confess that over the weekend, I jumped onto the Reading and Writing Centre website and found some great videos. There's a stack of them there. And uh, Jenny is actually in those videos. So again, we'll have a link to those in the show notes as well. Really simple, short videos that are bite-sized, easy to, easy to watch. 
Yeah. So let's move now, Gillian, to what's going on in central Queensland in terms of speech language pathologist projects. Well, at the moment, we have a few projects that are happening. We've got the Central Queensland Early Years Connect project that's happening in conjunction with the Early Years Connect team that's led by Gail Hemsley, who um, is uh, from Brisbane, and she's working with Brittany Hibbert, who's one of our HP4 clinical senior speech pathologists in the region. And they've done a lot of work at aimed at building the capacity for the speech pathologists in the region to ensure that their ability to assess and report and support students who have English as a second language who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander in our schools is up to date and uh, of best practice. And then we've also been doing a lot of work with looking at the whole of school approach to hearing language and literacy. And we've been working with, um, in particular, an example would be at Warabinda, Britt has been working with the prep teacher there to unpack the oral language demands of the prep curriculum. The school leadership at Warabinda has been really supportive of that work that Britt's doing. And she's also been creating local benchmarks through a data analysis. We have also done some case management for individual students, and we're about to launch into a hearing pathways pilot. And that will be in conjunction with some of our other regional office and specialist support people within the department. We have a big telehealth. We're rolling with the new millennia and no longer is everything face to face. Thanks to COVID, I guess we're probably all a bit more um, used to to doing things online um, and to doing things from a distance. So we have Natalia Kajewski, who's at Longreach, and she's another one of our senior speech pathologists in the region. And she is setting up and leading our work with respect to the use of telehealth to support students in the region. The platform that we're using at the moment is called Neo Rehab. So we're using Teams and Collaborate to talk with teachers, but we're using Neo Rehab to work with individual students. And we're thinking about using with groups of students, but we thought we'd start off with something a bit easier first. That's pretty exciting work, and it's something that is happening across the state, but CQ really is leading that, and OTs and physios are using the um, telehealth platform as well. Uh, we have a big piece of work with complex communication portfolio, and that's with Hayley Moran-Green, who is based up in Mackay, another one of our senior speech pathologists. And she's doing a lot of work with the ICP and HIC working group at the regional level. And then she's also disseminating um, newsletters to the entire region about um, complex communication and AAC. Um, and she supports people individually with cases as well. And then it doesn't stop there. The speeches are busy in this region. We're looking at doing some work, of course, with the whole of school teaching of reading and writing, community of practice. So that is going to be a large piece of work for the speech pathologists over the next 18 months. And then we have a, a project that's really in its infancy by um, two of our speech pathologists in Gladstone, Bobby McIntyre, um, one of our senior speeches, and Aloise Bowen, and they're creating a resource for the department 
that will assist teachers to develop communication skills in early years classrooms at home, and it's called ERTL. Great name. <laughs> oh, you know, we love a good acronym in the department, and it's got a beautiful little logo as well. So ERTL the turtle goes with that, and that's going to be a really amazing piece of work. A lot of the projects that we do in central Queensland end up going statewide. So in the past, we've created resources that a lot of people in schools will be quite familiar with. So, you know, um, PMAP and Ollie and Pond, speech pathologists across the state are using those resources now. So we're hoping that ERTL will be another one of those resources that will be a good quality resource for teachers. Hold on, I just need to clarify. Ollie, PMAP and Pond were all birthed in central Queensland? Yes. I didn't know that. How yeah. awesome. Yeah, they're all ours. And I think we're just talking about the third iteration for PMAP now because it was quite program-based where, you know, teachers ran little workstations in their classes, but now we're looking at, you know, changing it to become more of a resource. So it's about the ways that teachers teach biological awareness in classrooms. So that's uh, just a slight shift in the focus, but in in line with the way the department is moving as well. Yeah, lovely. And Gil, as uh, we're having this conversation, I realised we've used a lot of acronyms, so I will pop the acronyms and definitions in the show notes for people. Gillian, tell us about Speech Pathology Week for 2022. Speech Pathology Week is coming up quite rapidly on the 21st to the 27th of August. Every year they have a, th a new theme and this year's theme is to promote the speech language pathology profession and the work done by speech language pathologists across Australia. Theme this year is good communication, better communities. So it's about communication in the community. Well, this has been a timely recording. Yes, it's a bit of providence, isn't it? So the speech pathology teams within central Queensland and across the state will be doing some activities for Speech Pathology Australia. So you'll probably see on one portal something will come up and, and run across your screen about Speech Pathology Week there. And then what we normally do is a bit of work across the region with local radio stations. Uh, and this year there will be something in leaders' announcements as well. Well, Gil, it has been just great to catch up with you and talk all things speech language. I have to ask, though, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, are you right to do the fast five questions that aren't so fast? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> great. Gil, the first one is when and where was your first appointment, not as a teacher, but as a speech language pathologist? I commenced working as a speech language pathologist in 1990 um, with the Cerebral Palsy League of Queensland, which was then called the Queensland Spastic Welfare League, um, and that was in Rockhampton. And I travelled throughout central Queensland with the legendary AVTPI Jill Street, or Streety as we used to call her. So we would pack the car and off we would go with Streety across the region, you know, out to Winton, down to Biloela, Emerald. Uh, we got the the government car bogged on the beef road a couple of times when it was a single lane um, road with quite big shoulders. So um, we've been pulled out of the ditch by a couple of truckies a couple of times 
in um, in at the start of my career, and then I started with Department of Education in 1999, and we were based at Rockhampton Special School then. What great memories! <laughs> yes, it's a, you you get a, a really great appreciation of how big Central Queensland is when you've got to travel it by car. Absolutely. So, Gil, when you think about your work, what was the last thing that made you smile? I was very lucky that last week was our regional SLP meeting where I was able to get the majority of the speech language pathologists in the region together. It was a big week and we had a lot of challenging conversations, which are isn't you know very important to keep a service current and um, working well. And it's often overwhelming when you think about the work that has to be done and all of the different competing um, complications like um, like with teachers, staff shortages in uh, speech-language pathology are a really significant impact on the way we're able to provide a service. But the empathy and the dedication, the openness and the passion and the intelligence of the speeches in our region was just amazing last week and I'm exceptionally proud of them and the work that they do in the region and uh, their ability to work together as a team um, that made me very very proud last week so that's my that's what made me smile last with respect to work. Gil what's your best book or film recommendation? My best book is actually a book that I thought that I was going to hate reading. And when I started reading it, because I had to read it um, as part of a team project, I wasn't ready to embrace it. But I I actually refer to it quite a fair bit. And that's a book called Respect Trump's Harmony by Rachel Robertson. And um, the subtitle for it is Why Being Liked is Overrated and Constructive Conflict Gets Results. And I really didn't expect that I would like it, and I tried not to, but it's something that I actually do look back and reflect on a fair bit, the information that was in that book. So I would highly recommend it, and um, I've loaned my copy out, and now I miss it, so I'm going to go buy another copy. Gillian, what's your favourite quote? I have two. My daughter, um, when she was having a bit of a bad day at school, when she was in high school, she would often write quotes on her hand. And one that caught my eye was, um, tell me what you are planning to do with your one wild and precious life today. And that's a quote by Mary Oliver. And the other one that I have got written in my diary is by Maya Angelou, and it says, um, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. Yeah, yeah, great quotes. Thanks, Gillian. Okay, so Gil, as far as things to see in CQ, what's our best kept secret? Well, my first, my happiest place in central Queensland is Long Beach on Great Keppel Island, but the best kept secret in central Queensland is the lodge on Hawthorne in Blackhall. Oh, tell, tell us it's a bit a, more about that one. It's a cafe and antique store and it is amazing. The food is incredible. The wares they sell there are fantastic. I almost filled up the government car full of um, antiques to bring back. 
but then I would have nowhere to put it in my home. So it is an incredible place. And Blackhall State School, wonderful state school. Um, if you ever feel like travelling for a long, long time in a car, I would recommend that you go to Blackhall. Um, fantastic place. Wow, great recommendation. Thanks, Gil. I think it's built in an old Masonic lodge. That's why they call it the lodge on Hawthorne. Okay, well, I'll go looking and again, I'll pop that in the show notes if I can find it. Thanks. <laughs> well, Gil, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate the conversation and uh, the work that our speech language pathologists do across central Queensland. So vitally important to give our young people great, great language foundations like we said at the start to set them up for their futures thank you very much trudy if you have suggestions or recommendations for future episodes or you'd like to give us the gift of feedback you can email us at cqcommunications at qed.qld.gov.au if you've enjoyed the show don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app you will find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Deezer, and now Spotify. If you know of an educational leader in central Queensland who may also enjoy listening to the conversations, please help us spread the word by telling them about the podcast or forwarding the email that comes each fortnight with the show notes. Thanks, Gil. Thanks. We'll see you later, Trudy. Thank you for listening to Central Queensland Region's Reading and Learning Podcast. We trust this conversation has given you the information and inspiration to lead so that every student in our region succeeds.